0: New Zealand is a nation of fishermen, but those who earn a living from fishing around the coast say they're being slowly squeezed out and making a decent living is increasingly difficult. This despite the rising price of fish in the shops and a quota management system that is the envy of the world. The quota system is worth $4 billion, but there are now calls by many inshore fishermen for its review. Fisheries reporter Nick Butcher took to the sea last year to investigate for Radio New Zealand's Insight programme.
1: The sight of a fishing boat coming into dock and offloading a catch is an evocative one. But commercial fishing is big business now, the majority of it done by a handful of big corporations. The remaining 10% is in the hands of small to medium-sized fishing companies, their catch coming from within New Zealand's 12 nautical mile zone. For many of these fishermen, going to sea is in the blood.
2: I do everything. I line fish, I net fish, and I also cray as well. I've got a 44-foot vessel. I've been doing it for myself for about 14 years now.
1: I'm a second generation fisherman. Who catches what, and in what numbers, is regulated by the quota management system. Introduced 24 years ago, it allocated shares of the fishing resource to individuals and companies based on their historic catch records. The initiative was a response to what was seen as the critical state of this country's fisheries. But is it now time for a change? Many inshore fishermen say, while its key principle is effective, The quota management system and its associated costs make it increasingly difficult to earn a decent living and keep afloat. If these corporates and the quota
3: owners do not ease up on the purse strings and allow the fishermen to make money, these boats are all going
4: to die. If I look at the registration of fishing vessels in New Zealand today, I would say that we're probably hard pressed to have more than 1,300. That's a hell of a dramatic drop. We're not seeing new entrants into the fishing industry. The ones that are there are generally ageing. Unless quota owners see a bit of sense, the likes of myself
5: and a few others here that don't own quota, they're going to be on the outer. We're um, a
2: dying breed and that's extremely sad.
6: The quota management system could be likened to a house that's been built on sand. They just keep adding rooms to a sinking foundation.
1: Before the quota management system came into force in 1986, many likened the fishing industry to the Wild West, where anyone with a registered fishing boat, lines, nets and hooks could plunder the seas. It was a freedom that pushed fish stocks to a critical level. The quota management system, or QMS, was designed to reverse that, to rebuild decaying fish stocks by setting annual catch limits based on best scientific information. Packages of quota, often for particular species, were allocated to fishing vessel owners, and while many kept their slice of the annual catch, others saw it as an opportunity to receive a golden handshake, and sold their right to fish to now large corporate fishing companies who have majority control. Those with quota get allocated an annual catch entitlement, or ACE, every year, but new or existing fishermen, without any quota, have to buy ACE off others. Keith Ingram is a former commercial fisherman and now editor of the professional skipper industry magazine. He fished during those so-called Wild West days and has deep concerns about where the fishing industry is now heading. He says the quota management system is a double-edged sword. We had to have something because 25 years ago or even 30
3: years ago when the alarm bells rang, our fishery was going to be, particularly our inshore fishery, was not able to uh, stand the current level of fishing and there was so much waste going on and there was people fishing who really had no market they weren't managing their product and we had a number of key fish stocks high value key fish stocks which were bordering on collapse and so we had to do something the quota management system was the best on offer at the time there was two options there was either make it an IQ which was an individual quota Or an ITQ. Uh, Unfortunately, the government didn't stick with its original intent of having an IQ. It got convinced by the corporates or the large companies to make it an ITQ system, an individual transferable quota. And that's really the formation of the crux of the problem we have today, because 90% of the quota, particularly in FinFish, is owned by eight companies eight corporates.
1: What is the difference between ITQ and IQ?
3: IQ is an individual quota and it would have stayed with the fishermen in the boats and we would have still seen our fishing ports all around the country with small boats catching the fish, catching the inshore stock, all our inshore fishermen making a quid, feeding their families, bringing money into the communities and the communities would have survived. Uh, an ITQ is an individual transferable quota so people sold
1: it and the corporates brought it up. The price of annual catch entitlement paid to quota owners can be more than half the value of the fish, depending on the species. Ace prices vary seasonally and reflect the amount of species available to be fished under the total allowable commercial catch as set by the government. In the case of snapper, a popular dinner table fish, the landed wharf price in winter last year was $7.50 per kilogram, however the ace price was over $5.00. By summer, Ace was $2.20 a kilogram, yet the fishermen's catch at the wharf returned a mere $4.20 a kilogram. The financial impact of renting Ace is more significant for smaller fishing businesses and once other costs including fuel, crew wages and maintenance have been taken into account can leave very little profit. I'm at the Sea View Marina in Wellington, aboard the Conquest, which is a 40-year-old fishing boat based here in Wellington. With me is the skipper, Marty Hansen. You don't own quota yourself, I understand, so you have to rent ace off quota. Owners, is that continuing to you know impact on on you as a as an earner as a fisherman? Yeah, massively. That's probably the single most largest
6: expense we have. It means that young guys getting into the game, which which I did. I got into the game after the advent of the quota system. It means that we can find it very hard indeed to get a footing in the industry. In actual fact, end up paying to go to work, which I don't know any other job where you actually pay to go to work.
1: upper Fisherman Richard Kibblewhite explains just how much of an individual piece of fish is often swallowed by costs.
6: That one kilo of moki quota that I catch and, you know, might get $2.50 for it, says that the owner of that quota is entitled to some money to whoever catches it. So the catcher might not be the quota owner. So I, as a catcher, pay someone to lease their moke quota off them and to pay a right to that person. So in that piece of two, $2.50, that one one fish worth $2.50, I might pay, I have to pay the going rate, and that's determined by quota brokers or how much of the quota wants to get used up. If it doesn't get used up every year, if the fish species doesn't get used up every year, then it tends to drive the price of that fish species down. If everybody can catch it really easily, then the price of that quota would go up. So out of that $2.50 I I might get for that fish, I might pay the quota owner, say, 70 cents for that catching right. So my $2.50 less 70 takes me down to about, what, about $1.80. That's quite a chunk. And that price is governed by how much people want to pay.
1: Garth Gadsby is a 63 year- old cray fisherman and skipper of the Marco Polo, based in remote Nawi, a small fishing village on the wild upper coast. Last year, he made the national headlines when he was described as the sheriff of Nawi for shooting at a vehicle driven by fleeing burglars. Garth Gadsby did tell me he was living in a, he lives in a yellow house. And this does look like a yellow house. Hello. You've got to be Garth. I do indeed. How are you, Garth? It's fine. Radio New Zealand. Sorry I'm late. High ace prices eat up a large slice of what is considered to be a healthy crayfish export business.
5: The price of the crayfish is a reasonable price, but source lease... The, on the price of the crayfish, we get 40% and the lease owner gets 60%. So it's a bit uh, unjust. So, what would you
1: be paying then if you break that down?
5: Last year, we paid $36 a kilo for lease. We
1: returned $60, so we got $24 back to the boat, less expenses. In dollars and cents, what are you putting in and what are you getting out as such? Because uh, how many tonnes would you have been catching? I caught seven tonnes last year. We probably, the gross, the whole thing
5: was about 420 grand. I think we end up with about 150 gross, and then we spent 60 grand on redoing the boat, plus wages, fuel, bait,
1: so there's not a lot left at the end. In 1994, there were more than 3,000 registered fishing vessels in this country. There are now less than 1,300. Ken Feast is a 41-year-old second-generation fisherman who catches both cray and finfish. He owns a small package of quota and is also based in Nawi. He says although the amount of quota is worth $4 billion, the little guys are missing out.
2: The state of the industry, there's a mass exodus of fishermen. We're um, a dying breed and that's extremely sad because it was the little guys that got their whole industry up and going and I think the big guys have forgotten all that now. I don't see there is a good future for the fishing at this stage unless things dramatically change. Things, when you talk about things, what are you talking about? Well, the quota system works to a point, but it hasn't been really majorly reshuffled since it was put in place, and I think now we've gone through the cycles, the years, I think it needs to be re-looked at. I do not believe actually in ITQ, which is Individual Transferable Quota, because that gives the companies the power, because they own it all. So what, there should be individual quota instead? No, they should take the individual quota away, is my opinion. I mean, it should go back to the government, and it should be leased from the government. And then the money that we pay for the lease goes back to the government to look after the fisheries. Whereas at the moment it's not. We're a fully self-funded industry in the fishing. We don't get handouts from the government.
1: It was time to test my sea legs on the fishing boat Marco Polo with skipper Garth Gadsby and his mate Ken Feast. While the fish weren't biting I did find out that small struggling fishing villages such as Ngawi depend on the experience of local fishermen for a lot more than just what they haul out of the ocean in nets. I'm down at the Ngawi beach and that sound you can hear is the sound of a bulldozer. All of the fishing boats in Nawi are essentially launched into the ocean by bulldozer. It's, it's quite remarkable. Every boat has a bulldozer in front of it. It's like a bulldozer lot. Strewing along the coast, bulldozer after bulldozer. So we're about to get aboard the cray fishing boat, the Marco Polo. Janine, that's Garth's wife. She will do the honors and back the uh, the boat into the water. I must note the bulldozer is called Babe and it's pink. (laughs) I better get aboard, otherwise I'm going to miss my ride.
2: Yeah, this is how we do it. Yeah, we just back in, and it's quite a deep drop straight away. Do I need to hold on to something? Nah, you'll be right. You know, Garth and I, we like we're both search and rescue coordinators, so anything we. Yeah, we get a rescue, we gotta go. So we go out and do it and we take my vessel a lot because I've got a radar. <laughs> um, we do a lot of extra different things here, like on civil defence as well we're out here. I do search and rescue. I drive the
1: fire engine as well. It's the sound of the fishing boat cranking up. The sound of the powerful diesel engines? Caterpillar V8 a Caterpillar V8 <laughs> Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting you were saying if guys like you young guys like you leave the fishing industry sure you'll be replaced but what about the knowledge that uh, you'll take with you?
2: Yeah well the knowledge, it's learned knowledge you, you do it yourself you know and Hopefully you get good people to teach along the way, but if we get out in the future and we haven't been training young people coming through, there's going to be a huge gap of people that are inexperienced and don't know what they're doing. Yeah, so hopefully things come right and we can train up young guys coming through.
1: Under the QMS, fishermen have to pay extra for catching a species they don't have annual catch entitlement or ACE for, or if it exceeds the total allowable catch even if it was untargeted bycatch. The penalty is called a deemed value which is set and collected by the Crown. Keith Mawson is the managing director of Egmont Seafoods in New Plymouth which owns about two million dollars in quota for mainly inshore shark species it exports to Australia. The company also has the source ace for other fish species such as snapper costing the business about half a million dollars a year. He says deemed values can send fishermen backwards financially and the effect they have had on inshore fishermen over the last few years is catastrophic. Over recent years that deemed value has increased significantly on some fish stocks. Some fishermen are telling me, and while they won't say it on the record, they are telling me on occasions with deemed value situations, they will simply dump the fish because it just isn't worth it. It's going to cost them money. Now, if you're doing that, if you're dumping a certain species, you are basically undermining the the very plan, the very aim of the QMS.
4: Oh, you are, and not only that, they're actually they're acting illegally as well. Unfortunately for the fisherman, though, he, he's in a situation where if he's catching a species, he may be receiving $6 a kilo for it, but if he's going to have to pay $9 a kilo to the crown for landing that, he's going to be penalised $3 a kilo. In a lot of those situations, the fisherman may take the option of saying, well, look, I'm not going to be penalised for landing this fish, I just won't land it.
1: The deemed values are set by the government, and the Minister of Fisheries and Aquaculture, Phil Heatley, says he believes they are fair. Deemed values are a very important
6: tool, and we need to set them high enough that they're a penalty and will stop overfishing, but low enough that they don't encourage fishermen to dump fish and not admit that they've overcaught, and on the whole I think the deemed value system is working very very well. There's no doubt that some fish stocks need review much more regularly to set the correct deemed value uh, but I do know that three or four years ago the Ministry of Fisheries um, went through the process of looking at deemed
1: values for a whole lot of fish stocks and, and got them at a much better level. The latest assessment shows the commercial fish quota is now valued at $4 billion. That's an almost 50% increase in value since 1996. Fishing returns about $1.5 billion in export receipts. The Ministry of Fisheries Chief Executive, Wayne McNee, predicts quota and annual catch entitlement prices will continue to rise in value.
3: Ace prices reflect the value of the fish in the market, and fish is a valuable commodity and is widely traded internationally, and and commands a high price, and consequently the ace is valuable. So it's a case of supply and demand? It is a case of supply and demand, and as we're seeing internationally the pressure on world fish stocks, over time I think the New Zealand wild fishery will become increasingly valued.
1: Although the industry continues to rise in value, so too do the costs of surviving in it. Pete Dawson is the Chief Executive of the Federation of Commercial Fishermen, which represents the industry. He says high and fluctuating ace prices are one of many cost recovery problems
4: affecting inshore operators. These are small guys. They're one- and two-man owner-operators who have to do the management and observe the Act and the 8,000-odd regulations that sit under that Act, plus manage their business, plus do their statutory reporting, plus go fishing and actually catch a fish and land it. So these guys are the ones that have been affected and then they've had to pay for the government manage of that. If you're a farmer for example and someone steals your sheep you go to the police and the police carry out a theft investigation and hopefully uh, catch the culprit. A prosecution takes place and uh, hopefully a conviction and whatever penalty the law determines is appropriate. In the fishing industry we have a Ministry of Fisheries compliance unit which is cost recovered from the industry. In other words, we have to pay for our policemen, we have to pay for the prosecutions, we have to pay for the fisheries officers that actually do the investigations, and we're treated different to the rest of the country. Those costs have an impact on the business as a fisherman. Sandford Limited
1: is the country's oldest fishing company, valued at half a billion dollars, with a large fleet of both inshore and offshore vessels. The firm's beginnings stretch back to 1881, when Albert Sanford fished from his home on Rakino Island, landing his catch at the bottom of Queen Street in Auckland. Since then, Sanford has grown into a fishing empire, owning about 120,000 tonnes of inshore and offshore quota. The managing director, Eric Barrett, says while rising costs and regulations also affect his business, there is nothing better than the QMS.
5: So to suggest that it should be reinvented, that makes no sense. The system has to look after the fish. We have to ensure the sustainability of the fish.
1: But what about the fishermen?
5: Well, the fishermen, uh, that's uh, they have to be looked after too, but, but the first thing is the fish to have to be looked after.
1: The fishermen tell me that eventually they, they say the inshore catch will be caught by foreign fishing vessels. They say that will have to happen because companies such as yours will probably turn around to the government and say, look, the inshore fleet, there's, there's not enough guys out there. How about we, we, we hire some foreign fishing vessels to do this? Can we have a change of law? Could you see that being a reality?
5: No, I, th- I think that's, that's ridiculous.
1: I think the inshore fishery in New Zealand has gone
5: through a hard time. As I say, exchange rate and fuel prices haven't helped. When they hopefully get a little bit more favourable, that will help them. But I still see the New Zealand inshore fisheries
1: being owned and operated by New Zealanders for the benefit of New Zealand. Many of the smaller players in the fishing industry say they're increasingly concerned about how much influence companies such as Sanford have. But Eric Barrett rejects this.
5: No, that's, that's not fair and it's not true. We welcome and, and are part of a great many forums within the industry where small and large get together. Yes, we mightn't always agree. We participate in those discussions and and I totally reject the fact that nothing happens unless we agree.
1: So you don't hold that kind of monopoly? No, definitely not. Aotearoa Fisheries Limited is the country's largest multi owned commercial enterprise, valued at about $200 million. The company owns about 10,000 tonnes of quota. AFL is also a half-owner of the international fishing giant Sea Lord. I asked the chief executive, Jeremy Fleming, about criticism over the balance of wealth between fishermen and corporate quota owners and whether the fishermen have a case of sour grapes.
3: I don't think there's a particular imbalance. The the companies that own the quota and are vertically integrated like ours are taking the risk on their investment in quota but also taking the market risk on the products which they're processing and selling. And the industry is such that, that there are no very few participants who are making substantial profits. It's not as if the corporates like Aotearoa Fisheries Limited are making excessive profits.
1: And, And what would you put that down to?
3: It's a very competitive environment.
1: Arguably, fluctuating ace prices from quota owners is just business. The price reflects the market and is dependent on supply and demand. But former commercial fisherman Keith Ingram disagrees. Because you forget
3: one fundamental issue. It's a public asset. You buy a hunk of land, you buy cows to put on the land, you pay f- to grow the grass, you reap the rewards of that, you put sheep on the land, you plant trees on the land. Out there, it's a public resource. You don't pay anything to fertilise those fish, you don't feed those fish, you don't do anything with those fish, that is nature, that's a public asset. But you have a right because of the quota management system, to harvest that asset. You put nothing into it. And this is the whole argument. If the corporates put money back into the communities, if they put it back into the small coastal ports, if they put it into the small areas and allowed the fishermen to make money, well, then we could say, yes, you're contributing. But when you're just sucking it out and putting it onto the corporate balance sheets and distributing it to the Queen Street shareholders... That's where it falls apart. We're dealing with a public asset.
1: Some fishermen are critical of how total allowable catch limits are set and of decisions to close some depleted fishing areas such as the blue cod fishery in Marlborough Sounds. Those decisions about how much fish can be caught from New Zealand waters under the QMS are determined by some of the country's top marine scientists. Pamela Mace, the Chief Scientist for the Ministry of Fisheries, told me it's not an exact science, but is effective in protecting fish stocks.
0: It's basically like if you were counting the trees in a forest, the trees of a given species in a forest, that might seem a reasonably easy thing to do, but think of them as if they're moving around and they're covered by a thick layer of cloud. I mean, that's basically the situation we're in for trying to to estimate how many fish there are of each species in the sea. And fishery science, the techniques go back essentially to about the 1950s with a whole range of statistically designed surveys where we send out dedicated research vessels, collect information from fishing vessels and combine it into some fairly sophisticated mathematical models to come up with estimates, but they are quite uncertain.
1: Next to Alaska, New Zealand was recently one of only two marine areas to receive a green rating, the highest allocated, in a rebuilding global fisheries study published in the international journal Science. But the environmental lobby group Forest and Bird disagrees that fish stocks are being well protected. The organisation's best fish guide based on Ministry of Fisheries figures shows that of the country's 75 commercial fisheries, 29 are overfished or there has been a substantial decline in stocks. 42 have never had a quantitative stock assessment and so their status is unknown. Forest and Birds marine advocate and ecologist Kirsty Knowles questions the accuracy of the information on fish stocks used to set quota levels.
0: The quota management system is designed on using the information on the status of fish stocks, and it's based on requiring a lot of information. Core thing in New Zealand is we've got 629 stocks, but we only have enough information to even determine the status of that stock for 117. So, in other words, over 80% of New Zealand's fish stocks we know nothing about. So the management approach under the quota management system is pretty much a stab in the dark. It's guesswork for a lot of our stocks.
1: I asked Fisheries Chief Scientist Pamela Mace why so many fish stocks have not been assessed.
0: This is a common problem. I've been doing comparisons with other parts of the world and there are many species exploited by fisheries either as targets or caught Accidentally. And in other countries, for example, in in the US, that puts a lot, lot more money than us, an order of magnitude or more money than us into research, they actually have a similar proportion of their stocks for which they don't know the status. I think all of us, we focus our limited resources on the highest value, highest volume, and in fact, on those where we have cause to believe that there might be a sustainability issue. So it's not only the highest volume and highest value. We do pay attention to those smaller stocks or less important stocks. It's just that it's not cost-effective, in fact, to, to put a lot of resources into it.
1: The government says there are no plans for a review of the quota management system. However, a policy called Managing Our Own Ship would see a reduction in the about 8,000 regulations with which the fishing industry deals. It would mean fewer costs and overheads, providing at least some relief to struggling inshore operators. That plan is at an early stage and part of the government's fisheries 2030 strategy.
0: That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Nick Butcher. Technical production was by Steve Burridge and it was produced by Sue Ingram.